your home for gender reveal parties. My name's Nathan, your pizza party candidate. My name's Andy, your most contrarian host. And I'm Pat, and I'm your 11th party candidate. Are we doing doing? candidate now? Is it nice? Are we just doing? Is it? Are we doing that from now until the election or something? That was a leftover from the debate, sorry. <laughs> I really like the beer, 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 beer party, but I kept on doing beer, 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 beer with my mouth throughout the whole debate episode when I really wanted to throw in this sound effect. Because it sounds super cool. <laughs> that is better than yeah. doing it by your mouth, but there's a certain comedic effect to doing it. Yeah. Yeah. So everybody vote for the party yeah there you go right so i feel like it's been a while since we recorded like a normal episode how are you guys doing i'm good man uh i'm all right you know chugging along so um like some people in my family have been getting sick my nephew was actually in the hospital oh no but he is doing much better now like seasonally he was getting really sick and had like a high fever and they're working on figuring out what was going on like um like some kind of infection or something but he's doing much better and feeling much better now so that's good well better is good better is good and also uh so we finished our book in the bible study that we were doing the panoramic view of the end times and uh now what we're doing is we're constructing a timeline of like, all right, so in the seven years, quote unquote, of the last part of the end times, like first this thing happens this year and then the next thing happens this year and like four seals get un- unleashed and then, you know, seven plagues get released on humanity. And so what so point, it's a lot of fun stuff. What point of the end times are we in right We're now? Working on like a timeline. Well, so one of the major things that needs to happen is the rebuilding of the temple in Jerusalem. So I would say until that temple gets rebuilt, you don't have to worry about that much. So this is just normal times? This isn't even end times? Right. There, there have been some worrying signs that have been going on for sure. And people have been saying, like, nearly every presidential candidate that comes around, like, people were saying Obama was the Antichrist. People were saying Bush right. is the Antichrist. Right, right. I, I'm sure that people have been saying Trump is the Antichrist. Although I, I don't think I've seen that. I don't think I've seen that specifically. No, more a Hitler. bunch of places. People have, have started compiling different, like, facts. Like, being like, this is why, and this is why. Oh, but speaking of which, this is probably, like, precious moments material. But good news for Andy and I, because atheists are going to heaven. Well, Got them. Well, you guys are all uh, set. We don't have to. Yeah, no, it's it's been an article that's been going around this week a lot. (laughs) You don't have to. (laughs) But but there's an article, I think it's actually from 2015. It's not new, but Pope Francis... The Pope says that atheists can... He said that atheists can go to heaven without believing in God. And like, because the Pope is... In can we fact, take a minute and appreciate that Pope Francis is, like, the coolest oh. Pope? Like, I wouldn't be surprised... He is, like, the absolutely. least Catholic Pope I wouldn't ever. be surprised if he was, like, skateboarding. <laughs> absolutely. And, like, He's, like, he constantly time. just has, like, 
those sunglasses dropping down, those deal with it sunglasses dropping down over and over and over. <laughs> did on uh, did you see? I think I think it was on Netflix. There was a movie called The Two Popes. I haven't seen it, but it's supposed to be phenomenal. Ooh, it's supposed to be really so good. good, so good. You gotta check it out. I loved it. It was fantastic. He's a remarkable dude. He's he's an an amazing dude. That's really interesting. Anyway, uh. I oh let me let me actually share a non precious moment actual uh, checking in thing. I'm very very excited because my sister and her wife and my mom and a few other family friends who have all been hardcore quarantining have rented a cabin about an hour and a half away from my house where they there's tons of space and we'll be able to spread out and I'll actually be able to meet my nephew. Uh, who is several months old now for the first Yay. time. And I'm very much looking forward to meeting Milo. Aww. That's so great. And, and seeing Aww, my, nice. my older nephew, Frankie, for the first sh- time in like six months too. Yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm going to share in, in that excitement because um, I just got, just today, got an invitation or a text from my brother Um who who just had a, his daughter, Lucy, my new niece, um, I think about seven months ago now, or eight months. It's hard to keep track. Uh, but at any rate, <laughs> just uh, finally, he he broke down and, and has decided to take Caitlin and I up on the offer to do a COVID-friendly babysit, where, like, they leave a key and, like, the baby monitor so that we can be downstairs while baby's upstairs sleeping and Ellie and Alex can go out for the evening and have some fun. Is the idea if the baby needs something that you like call them back home? (laughs) No, I think, you know, if the baby needs something, then we would attend to it, but minimal contact and most likely baby will be asleep and Elliot and Alex can go do something. I don't know what, but have a nice evening. I wonder what you have to do to rent a hazmat suit. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) I don't, whatever it is, I would do it if that's what I needed to do to spend an evening well, with my, oh my gosh, Lucy is, I mean, this, you can get a, she's just an absolute chubster. She is so thick with, with three mm. C's. <laughs> that little girl is just perfect. I love it. And she's got this red hair. She's adorable. Andy, Her, you, you still, uh, you haven't started boycotting Amazon yet, have you? No. Okay, so... They have a uh, hazmat suit for uh, $18, it looks like. Uh, hey. You do get uh, free Super Saver shipping on that, so it should be there in just a couple of days. That's actually not bad. And, uh, yeah. And you can get those little uh, booties for your shoes for an additional $10 for 50 pair. So you'll be 50? able to use those for a long time. Dude, that's a lot of babysitting right there. There you go. I was going to say, you can head to Home Depot and get, like, essentially, like, a <laughs> painter's yes. uh, outfit. Like that goes over all of your clothes, and th- those are relatively cheap too. That's only like, like fifteen or twenty dollars. Third option: you go to a Halloween store, rent an Elmo costume, and then the baby will love you even more. Although it won't know it right. was you; it'll think it was Elmo, and think it was actually just a red monster. She's a few, only a few months old. She doesn't. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. That could that could definitely backfire. <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna take that back. So, um, well, and. I can't remember. I don't know. Are kids still into Sesame Street these days? I don't know. I can't remember your nephew's name, but um, are you going to get a chance to hold I him? I believe so. I'm going to uh, just 
to like get down to the drawers and like jump into a pool of hand sanitizer <laughs> and just cover every part of me beforehand. That's the way to go. Uh, but yes, I believe so. That's so exciting. Yeah, I'm very very excited about it. Nice. I also, I don't know, I haven't been to a party in a while. I certainly haven't been to three parties in a while. Well, how about one of the president's super spreader mm. parties? Ooh, that could be fun. That was supposed to be your, like, you were supposed to jump in and tell everybody, hey, we're talking about third parties today. Yeah. But you chose to, like, go a different route well, with it. And that's, I think that's interesting. No, that, I, I, I <laughs> listen, just, just when you think I'm, when I'm going to zig, that's when I zag. Uh, <laughs> it's a seamless transition. Yes, I would I would expect nothing else from the UTA party. Right. <laughs> if we're done zigging and zagging. So what I want to talk about today is why the hell can't we get a viable third party in office in, in any capacity? Not even as like a, a, a House of Representative, like not a single House of Representative member. Pat... Are you familiar with the meme where the seagull throws its head back with its mouth open before blasting out a ray of <laughs> more sure. information yes. than you ever wanted? That's what I'm going through right now. That's that, is, that is what yeah, is absolutely. about to happen. Um, let's go ahead. Can, okay. let's, <laughs> I think we should start from the beginning. I actually, for the first time in a long time, have done some research and uh, you guys feel free to stop me when it makes sense. But um, I want to talk about a little year called 1854. And in 1854, you've got a two-party system in this country. It just so happens that those two parties are the Democrats and the Whigs. Now, the country is embracing Manifest Destiny hard at this point, moving west. Uh, but there's an argument about if the new states as we head west should be slave states. Uh, the Democrats are fully on board with slavery and support the southern states and want new states to be slave states as well to grow their power. The Whigs are worried that the southern states are getting too much power and that slavery will hurt white working class citizens. Uh, at this point, zero parties give a shit about slaves. They just care about white people in various ways. Now, here's the wild part. In 1854... It's being decided if the new territories of Kansas and Nebraska are going to allow slavery. Ultimately, the Whigs can't decide among themselves, and their party completely collapses. A new party forms that is adamantly opposed to slavery, and that party's name is... Anybody want to take a guess? Republican Party. It is the Republican Party. Uh, it doesn't seem very on brand for what we know of the Republican Party, but let's move on. Uh, Republicans. Well, Abraham Lincoln was a Republican. And funny you should mention it because Republicans grow in power until 1861 when one of their candidates runs and wins the presidency. There's your Abraham Lincoln. He ran on a platform of allowing the southern states to keep slavery, but not allowing new states to adopt slavery. Um, Lincoln's win uh, proves to be too much, and the South ultimately secedes. 13 states secede from the Union and become the Confederate States of America. Uh, it turns out the Confederacy, which lasted a whopping four years, were a bunch of traitors who were fighting because they really wanted to own other people. Uh, fun right. Traitors and losers. Right. Uh, fun facts. Uh, the Civil War was not fought over states' rights. 
Uh, people knew it was wrong to own people in the mid-1800s, and all these people were very bad and can get all the way up. Mid-1700s, uh, slavery was outlawed in England before the United States came into existence. Yeah, it's, it's real bad. It's not like they didn't know, because I, I hear the argument of judging people based on the time they live in, and that's all I want to do. They, yeah. they knew No, it. well, actually, yeah. In fact, there was a special exception for America that the Americas could still own slaves. In fact, that's the reason that some people moved, emigrated from England to the Americas, is so they could continue to own slaves. Right. I, I'm going to dissent just slightly in, in the idea that um, nobody was there about states' rights, I think is sort of an unnuanced understanding there's a, a lack of what was really going on. But, I mean, if you're going to paint with wide strokes, then I guess, sure, it was, it was, it boiled yeah, down to that's slavery. That's fair. There may, there may have been, like, four guys who were like, yeah, states' rights. <laughs> fact check, fact check, fact check. And welcome back to Fact Check. Southern states cared deeply about states' rights, so long as they were the rights that they wanted. When states passed laws to help escaped individuals who'd been enslaved, southern states wanted the federal government to step in and overturn those state laws. Oh, and then there's this bit of the cornerstone speech from March 21st, 1961, given by Confederate Vice President Alexander H. Stevens when talking about the Confederacy. Quote, Our new government is founded upon exactly the opposite idea. Its foundations are laid... Its cornerstone rests upon the great truth that the Negro is not equal to the white man, that slavery subordination to the superior race is his natural and normal condition. This, our new government, is the first in the history of the world based upon this great physical, philosophical, and moral truth. So, if the Civil War was about states' rights, the Confederacy certainly didn't seem to know about it, and they can all get... All of the way f***ed. Anyway, let's get back to the show. Fact check, fact check, fact check. No, no, no. I mean, look, uh, the way I like to, to, to talk about to characterize it essentially is that the South fought the Civil War to keep slaves. The North fought the Civil War to keep the South from leaving the Union. Yes, I think that's very accurate. The North did not give a shit about the slaves. Do you know? Do you know what Abraham Lincoln's platform was on what to do with slaves once they were freed? Are you familiar? I, I don't remember, but it's fucked up, right? Like I, I can't. It, yeah, exactly it's pretty fucked it up. His plan was up. he was a, and I forget what they call oh, wait, it, but like a wait, recolonizationist. Can I, wait, can, I when, can I take a guess? Uh, yeah, go for it. My guess is that he wanted to put them on boats and send them back to Africa. Yeah, ding, ding, ding. <laughs> yeah. Oh, what a piece of shit. Yeah, super racist. Yeah. So, not like... <laughs> oh, my God. I mean, gosh. whatever. It is what it is, I guess. It's history now. So, we can't change it. We just have to acknowledge it. And what I will say is, Pat makes a fair point. Whenever you paint with a big, broad brush, I'm sure there are people who thought they were nice. I'm sure there are people who, like kissed their mom at night and like had good friends and like treated their dogs well and whatever, but also <laughs> f them because they lived in slave states and didn't do anything to change it. So if there were people well, who did live, live in those slave states and change them, then like, I, I wish 
I wish your ghost the best, but the rest of you can give Right. So, for, for example, Robert E. Lee was not a proponent of slavery, but he was following the leadership of Virginia. He was very much about his home state of Virginia. And when they seceded from the Union, he said, you know, okay, well, I'm going to lead the Confederate. I mean, Army. that sounds a whole lot like something that maybe Himmel would say. Like, sure, sure, and I'll I'll grant you that for sure. I mean, dude, you led the fucking Confederate army. You can't just do I was following orders. Yeah, fuck him all the way, but also like he was opposed to like not only slavery, but he was opposed to secession in the first place as well. But then yeah, then yeah. he chose to fight for the people who were super on board with slavery. So that well, guy. so so anyway, what does this teach us about third parties in the United States? Well, it's certainly let, something with a precedent. Sure. So I'm going to keep on going. We we just we have a little bit more. Uh, so because I want to set up how we got where we are. So <laughs> I uh, let's see. Where did I leave off? Uh, uh, all these. Why don't we were, pick up with killing Lincoln? No, all these people were bad, and they can get all the way. <laughs> yeah, that's where I left off. Okay. So the Republican Party goes in. Uh, <laughs> so the Republican Party goes all in in the following years to push the Civil Rights Act of 1866. They pass the Fourteenth Amendment, which guarantees all citizens equal protections of the law, and making sure that all persons born or naturalized in the United States, including former slaves, are considered to be citizens. They pass the Fifteenth Amendment which prohibits the federal government and each state from denying a citizen the right to vote based on that citizen's, quote, race, color, or previous condition of servitude. So, like, I love this Republican Party. I would, like, wear a Republican T-shirt and, like, go out and, like, march for the Republicans if, like, if this is what the party was about. Now, the problem is it turns out that the Civil War had another effect and that it made a lot of people in the North, a lot of businessmen, specifically white businessmen, very, very rich. And so a lot of those businessmen started taking leadership roles in the Republican Party. Uh, they wanted to start gathering power to keep their money. And they thought that supporting uh, rights for blacks was not a good way to do that. It didn't have as much uh, public support as other positions they could hold. Now, that's a Republican Party that I, that I know and most definitely do not love, but you, you see like where these people are starting to care more about power than they are about the rights of citizens. By 1920, the Republicans have become the party of big business and it worked really well for them. During that time, they also essentially switched platforms with the Democrats. So Democrats are now supporting the rights of the working class and Republicans have taken over as big business. And that works. Right. We, we didn't skip the fact that Democrats were the pro-slavery party. No, absolutely right? not. I think I specifically brought that up. But yeah, the Democrats, uh, the early Democrats can also get all the way. Um, mm. So can we I want I want to just interject since we're bringing this sure. up. Um it it is very true that uh, a large portion of the Democratic Party back then were very pro slavery. To be fair, the Whigs were pretty pro slavery too. Yeah, uh, some of them, but they broke up because they couldn't agree as a party. Right. Well, yes. 
So the thing that the dynamic that kind of gets overlooked by us from our modern standpoint is that these parties were not idealistic monoliths. They were not a cohesive set of ideological principles and policy proposals like they are now. Mm -hmm. Then they were kind of this coalition of people. So you had these um, Democrats of all sorts of political varieties. I mean, conservative, liberal, Mm -hmm. pro-slavery, anti-slavery from all over the place making up the same Democratic Party. And what we thought of as political parties then is just very different from what we have now. Right. We're, as we continue down this timeline, we'll see that change. But but I just want to point out that you can't look at this landscape the way we look at our current landscape. What it is to be a Democrat is very, very different back then. Right, but I, I don't I don't want to forget that um, the, the party of real racism was and always has been the Democrats. <laughs> I think they, the the same party that is racist today, uh, the people who were in it back then were also racist uh, back then. It just turns out that the Democrats and Republicans uh, flipped it up uh, from the late 1800s to the early 1900s. So while, yes, technically Abraham Lincoln was a Republican, he would not recognize the Republican Party of today. He would would have been a Democrat based on, or, I mean, some other third party, a Green Party or whatever candidate based on uh, the politics that we have today. Um, I just have an, another, like, one sentence to get through, and then we can go freeform jazz on this conversation. But basically what happened was you have Republicans who are doing really well because the economy is doing great. They are the party of big business in the 1920s. And then 1929 happens and go. What do you think happens then to the party of big business? Okay, so in 1929, uh, Herbert Hoover is inaugurated president. He's a Republican. And a few months later, at the end of October, actually, we're coming up on the anniversary-ish, although not, you know, like 100 years yet. Uh, but what, I guess 91st anniversary. Woo. Uh, the stock market crashes, and the Great Depression hits, and unemployment is in the 20-odd, per- mid-20 percents, and um, people are living in tents in New York City in Central Park called Hooverville because they can't afford places to live. They can't get jobs. Um, Hooverville, yeah. It's just fantastic. Well, and interestingly, I, I would point out that the, uh, the New Deal didn't completely fix the problem. It might have stuck a Band-Aid on the problem. We didn't climb out of this until the military spending yeah. from World War II. Yeah. No, you're absolutely right. I mean, Rose, so Roosevelt gets inaugurated in 33, and they start doing these New Deal measures immediately, and they repeal Prohibition, and all of these like economic, domestic economic measures, and they're trying all sorts of stuff. They're creating what they used to call, they call the alphabet soup, federal agencies, they're doing works projects and investing in, in things to try to get people to work. World War II. Yeah, none of that matters. World War II basically builds the middle class as we know it today. Because when people when people come back, they not only have affordable housing, they have low interest loans. Well, let me be clear. 
when white people come back from fighting the war, they have low interest loans. They have, they're given money to go to school and to get better degrees. And there are jobs to be had that will pay for your family to live. And that stuff doesn't exist now. There's a lot of things I think that, um, get overlooked. It's a very murky and complicated economic change that happens, but there's, when we go to war, the military is an employer, and so their employment goes up, and it sucks jobs out of businesses, so they need to find workers, and those workers are replaced with women in a huge number. Yeah, and so that act, yeah, though, Rosie the Riveter. It, I mean, that, that cat is out of the bag now. Women are working, and they like working. It makes them feel good, like they're contributing. They feel patriotic. I mean, and they are. They are patriotic, and they mm-hmm. are like that. You know, I don't want to minimize that, but but the the landscape is forever altered. So when these guys come back from work, there isn't necessarily tons of jobs. The United States didn't suffer much damage, but you know what? Europe, after two world wars, is. F- laid to waste it is demolished their industry is their population is largely dead um i don't know why i laugh at that it was an awkward laugh um and so Mm -hmm. what happened it's it's actually a lot more of a unique um perfect storm of events that allows the united states to 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 have this uh industrial revolution in the in the 1950s um, that other countries couldn't have other what would have been other th- you know first world countries all, all across Europe couldn't do it because they were so destroyed they were just rebuilding infrastructure right so this this brings me to my next question is um, from an economist point of view what is it about World War II that brings us out of a depression that modern wars don't where the money goes would be my guess. Yeah, so is is it increased government spending? Is it because we're selling war bonds that people are buying and then we are, you know, all banding together to make sure every man, woman, and child is uh, pitching in, like bringing their aluminum to be recycled, to be put into bullets? Like, know. is that sort of economic activity right. what, what brings it, us out of the Depression? I think... It, This is one of the most interesting things about the quarantine for me because it's the first time in a long time where Americans have to have skin in the game in a different way than they have in the past. Because World War II, I mean, you can make arguments for a few other things, but World War II was basically the last time that we had to get involved as citizens to make sure that we did a thing, that we, like, won a war or whatever. Because every war that we fought since then... You know, like, we couldn't get pictures from Vietnam. You know, like, we we weren't asked to sacrifice anything when we went to Iraq. We, like, there's there's nothing expected from Americans, even their attention, when we go to war now. Are you saying saying it's not an existential crisis? Because I I would say that there were sacrifices, certainly in the people who lost their lives in Iraq and Afghanistan. Absolutely. No, 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 I... What I let me and let me be absolutely clear on this. I'm not talking about the the people or the the veterans, the heroes, whatever you want to call them, who went to war on our behalf. I have a lot of beef with commanders of the army. I have 
a lot of beef with the president who makes these decisions. I have zero beef with the people who go so, but suffice um, to say- and make these sacrifices on our behalf. Uh, I am not saying, but what I'm saying is like the citizens at home have not had to chip in or do anything or even think about what happens in other countries when we go off because we want their oil. So first of all, I mean, this is kind of off topic, but also I think, I think the answer is a little simpler than that. I think the answer is really just jobs. Before World War One, we did not have a standing army. We had militia and or and and sometimes like a um, there would be a, a minimal force that was maintained. Uh, but but before World War One, we did not maintain a standing army. And uh, after World War Two, we do. In fact, the military is a an enormous employer in the United States workforce. And so I think when it comes down to it, the difference is just job mobilization. When you mobilize troops, you're no longer sucking jobs out of the country anymore. They they just already are employed. And so it doesn't pull you out of that recession by, by creating job openings. Right. And I think what we can talk about now is, that this is this is how we got to where uh-huh. we are now. Like Republicans decided they were going to be on the side of big business in the early part of the century, and they stayed that way. And Democrats decided they were going to be in, uh, on the side of workers, yeah. and that's how they how that's how they align themselves. And that is sort of stayed the same throughout, like certainly my lifetime. So there were definitely some exceptions. I mean. Teddy Roosevelt was a Republican mm-hmm. and was the, the great trust buster, you know? And, but again, that speaks to my point earlier about just the diversity that exists within a party at that point in American history. So, uh, sorry to rewind us, but we definitely had a standing army since 1775. No. Uh, okay. Here, instead of you two arguing about this point, I'm going to put in a fact check right here. Fact check, fact check, fact check. And welcome back to Fact Check. Well, Andy, sorry, buddy, but I have some bad news for you. The U.S. Congress authorized the Standing Army in 1783, and the first one was formed in June of 1784. There was a small Standing Army in times of peace, and when needed, they would recruit volunteers and call up state and local militias to fill out their ranks, but at the end of the conflict... Most of those who fought went home to other jobs. When World War II ended, a huge number of people remained employed by the U.S. military. In the doobly-doo, you'll find a handy graph that tracks U.S. military personnel as a percent of population by year. There are three major spikes, the Civil War, World War I, and World War II. But for the most part, you'll see that line drop back to where it was, except for World War II. In 1940, the U.S. military employed roughly between 0.2 and 0.3% of the population. In 1950, that number was just over 1%, and it didn't drop below that threshold again until the mid-1970s. Anyway, let's get back to the show. Fact check, fact check, fact check. But, like, the whole reason for me bringing up what I brought up, and we can talk about World War II and how it formed the middle class, and I think that's important, but... 
The reason why I brought it up is this is how we got in our two-party system. We, you have these two parties, and really what ends up happening is after the Great Depression, you need the other party. They sort of check each other, where one party does something, and a lot of people align with the other party to stop that party from doing that thing. And we go back and forth and back and forth. And this is the thing that drives Andy nuts. I don't want to speak for you, but the idea that, um, and I think, like, <laughs> certainly I've heard Pat uh, show frustration with this, and I have it a little bit myself, is that this is where you get that argument that, well, I can't vote for a third party because then that would leave the Republicans or the Democrats or whatever in charge. And so, like, you have this, you have this self-fulfilling like, prophecy of people saying that I can't vote for a third party because then the other uh, the other side will uh, get in power, and so third parties are never voted for. So the term for this is a spoiler candidate. If you are too close ideologically to one of the existing two party candidates, that you will spoil the one that is ideologically closer to you and hand the election to the other side. Well, this might be a good point to talk about Ralph Nader. Well, I want to stay on the timeline for just a little bit because I think, I mean, I guess it kind the process sort of starts in the 40s and 50s, but it doesn't, I don't, it doesn't really kick into gear until the 60s. And But also I want to be clear that this is something that it started barely perceptible. Little, it's a little bit of oscillation back and forth. And it's just grown more and more os- uh, oscillating further and further back and forth. Right. There's a, um, there's a the really years. interesting. I'll see if I can find it and put it in the doobly-doo. There's, there's something interesting. So I always think, and I know Andy and I had this conversation not too long ago, that I am not a moderate. I'm not anywhere near close to a moderate. I am a big old lefty. But the thing is, I think the moderates are the the cogs that get stuff done in our system. And they're gone. We we don't have any anymore. And you can find, like, in, there's a video, an animated GIF, whatever it is, of the political parties over time, and whether they were moderates or whether they were, like, far left or far right. And basically, in the 50s, you have a ton of people in the middle and a few outliers on either side. And then over time, it gets that gap gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And then until you get to where we are now, where you have a ton of people on the far right, a ton of people on the far left, and the middle is a desert. There's nobody in the middle guarding the moderate wing. And that's why we can't get anything done, because there's nobody willing to compromise. Yeah, 100%. Um, and and I, it's a process that has... It's a feedback loop, um, and it's it happens for a few reasons. And I think one of the reasons is I, I attribute a lot of it, especially specifically within the Republican Party, to uh, the inaugural speech of Barry Goldwater in I want to say 1960, um, and may, and and we'll grab a clip here. For, for the listeners to hear. My name's Barry Goldwater, and I hate everybody. Blah, blah, blah. <laughs> <laughs> and let our republicanism so focused and so dedicated not be made fuzzy and futile by unthinking 
and stupid labels. I would remind you that extremism in the defense of liberty is no vice. pursuit of justice is no virtue. He talks about he, he talks about that it's no sin to be a, a zealot for your for what you believe in essentially. And I think you know that is a spark to a, a, a fire that's been ready to start burning for a while, especially within the Republican Party. And, and it's spiraled since the 60s to where we are now. But the big thing is there used to be... The big problem of this polarization that you're talking about is we have always had basically two parties. But like I said before, they didn't function like two parties. They functioned like four parties. There was the liberal Democrats, the conservative Democrats, the liberal Republicans, and the conservative Republicans. And because they had the, in, an internal balance inside of each party, right. it, it allowed it to function like there were four parties in the system, which was pretty effective at keeping this explosion. Right. If I'm a, if I'm a moderate Republican and I want to get something done, I can write, I think, sort of a middle-of-the-road bill and make adjustments on the right to pull in hardcore Republicans and make adjustments on the left to pull in moderate Democrats and get something done. If I'm a exactly. far right Republican, I got nobody to my right and I got nobody to my left anymore because mm -hmm. there's a desert in the middle and I'm already on the far right. That's yeah. why moderates are necessary to get stuff done. Right. So, so what happened historically is FDR started uh, kind of courting the African-American vote and, and trying to implement some policies to favor them, to try to win them to the Democratic Party to create this coalition. And he was somewhat effective, um, but, but black people were still very, across the country, also very still tied to the Republican Party until, until roughly the 60s, when the Republican Party and Nixon and and Goldwater and those guys kind of turned their backs and said, instead, we're going to turn more of our focus on the rural, white, Christian people and try to win, get more votes from them. And there's this... Are you talking about possibly the Southern strategy? Ooh, I'm so glad <laughs> that you, you knew what I was talking about. Dude, this document is so... Ugh. It's, it's... All right, so... They, the, the Republican Party went to the trouble to commission a very expensive and extensive study into how they could regain the pop, their popularity that they had lost. And this study basically came back and said, well, you need to win back the black vote. Basically, I mean, there was a whole lot of things, but that was like first and foremost. You're losing the black vote to Democrats. And the Republican Party 
subsequently buried the f***ing report as far as they could and instead just decided to go after those white, rural, conservative Christians and, uh, and just work that base, which... Clearly, we see the result of that. Uh, now, I know today. we're I know we're in a, a an audio medium here, but I'd like the viewers at home, the listeners, to imagine that I'm grasping both sides of my face with my mouth wide open, like Macaulay Culkin in Home Alone, because I'm so surprised. <laughs> so I have a quote from George oh, Washington God. that I think is illuminating here: uh, the alternate domination of one faction over another, sharpened by the spirit of revenge natural to party dissension, which in different ages and countries has perpetrated the most horrid enormities, is itself a frightful despotism. Oh, man. <laughs> For sure. Um, so I'll see your w Washington and raise you a Publius, which is the pen name of James Madison, writing in Federalist 10, If a faction consists of less than a majority... Relief is supplied by the Republican principle, which enables the majority to defeat its sinister views by regular vote. It may clog the administration, it may convulse the society, but it will be unable to execute and mask its violence under the forms of the Constitution. When a majority is included in a faction, the form of popular government, on the other hand, enables it to sacrifice to its ruling passion or interest both the public good and the rights of other citizens." I'll see your pubes fleasness and raise you a John Adams. There's nothing which I dread so much as a division of the Republic into two great parties. Uh, Y'all, uh, that dread happened a long time ago. Oh, about six years ago, really. Uh, I think, I mean... <laughs> no? Mm, mm. Uh, do you want me to go back to that 1854 I was talking about? Well, uh, actually, you're you're absolutely right. Actually, one of the maybe before 2016 at least, but one of the nastiest elections in American history was the election of 1800. Mm-hmm. So anyway, fact check, fact check, fact check, and welcome back to fact check. The election of 1800, aka the Revolution of 1800, was a four-way contest where the second place finisher would become vice president. It was between Democratic-Republican rivals Thomas Jefferson and Aaron Burr and Federalists John Adams and Charles Pinckney. It was a rematch of the 1796 election in which Adams had won and Jefferson came in second. But this time, Jefferson and Burr tied, and the election was decided in the House after days of deliberation. In the end, a backroom deal was struck by Alexander Hamilton that gave Jefferson the win. Even though Jefferson and Burr hated one another, it turned out that Hamilton hated Burr even more. Honestly, it seems like a good story to me. Someone should turn it into a musical or something. The election destroyed the friendship of Adams and Jefferson, although, spoiler alert, they made up. And there's a touching story you should look up about how they both died on the same day. Ultimately, the election of 1800 and the animosity it wrought led to the 12th Amendment that says voters select a slate of president and vice president instead of voting for president twice. Anyway, let's get back to the show. Back check, back check, back check. Uh, why don't you tell me, I would like you two to tell me, what is the benefit of a third party? Or several third parties, for that, that matter. 
So several third parties doesn't really make sense, of course, but multiple parties um, is clearly the way to go. Um, we are most advanced democracies use a multi-party system. Now there is there is such a thing as too many parties. There is such a thing as too few parties. We right now are living through too few. Uh, but if you take a look at Israel, I believe they have a uh, good 17, 18 different parties. And it is a disaster there. And people are able to gain power without really any checks against them at times. So th that's a problem. But the sweet spot seems to be, according to the people who study this, the sweet spot seems to be four to six parties. So, so my best answer to, to Nathan's question is it's the luxury of having uh, politicians come to the voter base rather than needing the voter base to come to politicians. So you can vote for your mm -hmm. conscience. You can vote for a candidate that you really believe in. You can vote for somebody who actually represents your views pretty accurately rather than having to make a compromise of, well, this party gets more things right than right. the dreaded other guy. And so I'm going to be making a, a vote just I to mean, not have the other guy in office. Pat's right, absolutely right. Voter turnout, voter engagement in countries with multiple parties is consistently significantly higher than voter turnout in two-party systems. Well, yeah, and as far as what Pat said, like I think a lot of us feel that hardcore this election because like we had our <laughs> we had our episode on the different uh, democratic candidates and we all shit on Joe Biden. Yeah. Right. Nobody wanted Joe Biden. We shit on like Kamala Harris as well. Right. Yeah. Nobody wanted either of them. Well, I mean Again, us specifically, they do have genuine fans. Right, some but... people did. So, so if there's a huge and growing number of people in this country who are not satisfied with the status quo, who are not satisfied with either of the platforms that they're being offered, then why can't something like a third party work? We're, we're in this rut where we, we can't escape and we're no longer really being accurately represented. And that's really a huge problem. It's a big, big, big problem. I think it's that self-fulfilling prophecy again. It's that, that prophecy that we've been living with for two centuries, more than that, where we feel like we can't vote for a third party because, especially now, the other party is the enemy. I mean, you see it all the time. Like, we, we aren't, like... Uh, a bunch of people who all have the best interests of the country in, uh, in mind, and maybe you're going to do it a different way than I do, but we all want the, the best. We all think we're that, but everybody is now enemies. And so I can't let my enemy win, so I have one move, which is very much how I feel this election. And I have one move available to me, and so I've had to spend the last, like, two months, like, talking up a guy that I don't fucking like because there's another guy that I despise and can't allow to keep his position. Right. And the real triumph of this, the real winners of this system are the things that you see neither party really challenging. You don't see either party really taking on 
big pharmaceuticals. You don't see either party taking on big oil. Big uh, tech. Yeah, big tech. Uh, big, lo- like, any any sort of big lobbying group. Uh, big tobacco. Um, we've we've basically unilaterally decided, and this might be a controversial opinion, but we've unilaterally decided that we will always militarily support Israel. These are these are things that just don't get challenged as an idea by either party. I think you're right. Um, I think what what we are being shown anyway, being given is is the illusion of choice. If if you're given it's so <laughs> it's actually like a sales tactic um, or even a parenting tactic. My I used to have this sales coach who would tell me she'd say, look. If you ask a two-year-old, what which cup do you want? You will be there all day long. Nothing will you will never ever select a cup. No decisions will ever be made. If you, however, say to the child, would you like the red cup or the blue cup? They'll pick one and you're on to your next thing. You're moving on. And that is what our the the, the, the rulers of the country, so that the, the the, the Democrats and Republicans in Congress, the big, big, super, uh, super rich people who are keeping them there, are keeping them there to do their bidding, right? Those people are giving all of us this this red cup, blue cup, red team, blue team. Right. Mm-hmm. And whereas, like, but I feel like, <laughs> like, the red cup is actively trying to, like, murder everyone. And so, like, I feel like I can't, Take the red cup. I look. I think of it as like both cups are being held out right. by the same fucking. So, so person. the military-industrial complex. I don't want. I don't want anything that person is offering me. If you're if you're only offering me the cup of poison to get me to drink the cup of less immediate poison, then like you. <laughs> All right. So, but Andy, here's where like your. Your and my argument always like breaks down because it's it's not I'm trying to think of a better analogy because it's not like you have a choice the and like with the choice is to just deal with it, whatever like like you're gonna have to drink one and you're just deciding all right I'm gonna drink whatever I can because I want a thimble full of like the juice that I think is really good. To at least like show up on the table, even if I can't drink it, and the like that's where like you have to pick one, even if you don't vote for that that person, they're still going to be in charge of you, and they're still going to have control over your life and the life of everybody else in so, the country, and like the world from that perspective. Look, and so I think this is the problem with the third party getting it started, at least because for a while. I think it's going to benefit Republicans. I think the third party, the only one that's even like remotely viable now is the Green Party. And the Green Party is going to pull people from the Democratic Party. I'm not saying that like Democrats are going to lose votes or that they like that they deserve those votes or anything like that. They're not like nobody's vote belongs to anybody. And you can vote for whoever the hell you want. Except Perfect. this goddamn election. You're going to vote for <laughs> Joe Biden. You sons of bitches. But any other, any other can, like a year, you can vote for whoever you want. But 
for the time being, what that's going to do is it's going to give Republicans the election. And that has to be okay. Well, so so this, this is a really... This is a really interesting point. So when will we ever not be in a state of emergency over the next presidential cycle, over the next congressional cycle? What, like when would be an okay time for you to to start voting third party? Well, I mean, you and I have had this discussion before. Like as far as I'm concerned, uh, any like five out of the last seven Republican candidates – I wouldn't have been happy with, but I could have lived with. Mm. It's W and Trump. And Trump is magnitudes worse than W was. But I'm not saying I was happy with Reagan or Bush the first or Romney or any of the other. Like, and let me tell you, I loved 2000 McCain, but uh, 2008 McCain can eat a butt. <laughs> But th that's the thing. Any of those guys, I wouldn't have agreed with them, but I think they all had what they thought was the best interest of the country, <laughs> like, at hand. And I can basically use every other election, if a Republican is voted in, as a time to get that done. Because I don't blame anybody who voted for W in 2000. And yeah. I don't blame anybody who voted for Trump in 2016. I mean, kinda I do, but you didn't, you didn't know when they were first elected what kind of damage they could do. But after they were elected, after you've seen what they can do, if you don't choose to use that vote as a way of like blocking their power, what the fuck are we doing here? We're, we're spinning the wheel again. We're, we're continuing this cycle that doesn't challenge the military industrial complex. We're continuing the cycle of private imprisonment yeah. and mass incarceration. We're continuing the drug mm -hmm. war. So, I mean, I would say that's what we're not challenging by saying, like, well, you know what, this this election is an emergency. But let, let me make an, a specific appeal to the reason why third parties, even without ranked choice voting, even without uh, election reform or uh, representative seats in a parliament or a congress... Um, you can drift the conversation. So if the Democratic Party sees that, like, oh, we lost an election by just 1% of the vote, but there's this other party that came along, you know, the Green Party or the Libertarian Party or whatever party, and they got 2% of the vote, and they're espousing these ideas that are like, challenge the military-industrial complex, started a Green New Deal, um, these kind of, like, socialism uh, spending ideas, like the Health Care Act, they want to do Medicare for All. You have to start taking those ideas seriously because you just lost mm -hmm. an election by 1%. <laughs> and I don't, ag I don't agree with it, but I think a lot of people would say the most effective third-party candidate of our lifetimes was Bernie Sanders because he decided to put a D instead of an I next to his name, and he completely shifted the platform of the Democratic Party from 2016 to, 2000, uh, to 2020. Right, and I think that that's at least an important role. I, I Even if you don't have any hope for getting a presidency, that's still an important mm -hmm. 
Isn't Joe Biden's health care plan less progressive than Hillary Clinton's was? I don't know. I do know it's shifted. That That's the thing I like about voting for Biden over Trump. And I know that's not what this episode is about, is like, because he has a sense of shame, he can be like, <laughs> like guilted yeah. into doing the right thing. And he's had to, he's had to listen to Bernie because he needed to form that coalition to, so, like, of the far left to be able to come to him so that yeah. it could be Trump. But he just said it's, it's less progressive than Hillary Clinton's, yeah. though. That seems, that seems like a drift away. The, uh, I heard an ask. Yes. I didn't hear a statement. Uh, we can go ahead and do a fact check on whether it is or not. Mini fact check. Well, both Clinton in 2016 and Biden in 2020 have put forth health care proposals that are little more than expansions of the ACA. In fact, they've both been referred to as ACA 2.0. They both include public insurance option, both reduce the payment cap to 8.5% of income. Clinton's plan would have added a tax credit and fixed the so-called family glitch, which had cost families thousands in tax credits while Biden's plan eliminates the Hyde Amendment, which forbids federal funds from paying for an abortion and would increase funding for community health centers, which treat uninsured and illegal immigrants. So they're really pretty even, although Biden's plan may have a slight edge. Mini fact check. But so the, but the real, the most effective third party candidate of yeah. ever was Ross Perot in 92. Mm -hmm. He got 19% of the national vote, and he didn't get any electoral votes. So you guys can keep on telling me how good the electoral college is when 20% of the electorate doesn't get any representation well, hey, at I'm all. Gonna, I'm going to extend but, an olive branch just on that tangent. I'm going to extend an olive branch and say that I could be convinced to change my position on the electoral college. I'm not set in stone <laughs> on that we have to keep it. It's where we are right now. Well, I, specifically, I'm not. I, I've. I think I've said this. I'm not for the electoral college. My only argument against abolishing the electoral college is that that would require way too much cons political capital to do. You can't so, get the people yeah. in office to vote for that. Oh, well, what you can I do. Heard that argument out of you before, but I. Like I, I. I'm sure I've said it. I, I know I've said it. Um, that it costs too much political capital to do it. What you can do, though, much more easily is reform the Electoral College to turn it into a rep more representative system. Right. And I think the reason why third party candidates have zero choice is this idea with most states that the first person past the poll gets all the votes. Mm -hmm. The first person that gets one more vote than 50 percent gets yes. all the votes in the and state. And that means, and that's like why we're, we're all, we all have huge boners for ranked choice voting. Right. We like, and we're, and we've seen like New York and Maine, right? So, are the two states that well, have agreed to do it this New time. New York around. City and Maine, the state of Maine. But, okay. uh, and, and, I mean, it'll give us some data. Yeah, though. absolutely. And I think it's worth, worth saying this. Okay. The United States was one of the first representative democracies. We the 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 the, the founding fathers. And we've said this many times before. They were flawed, but they did get a lot of things right. Um, and they did use they did they used their heads and they did use the best evidence that was available to them when they were constructing the con the Constitution, 
the United States Constitution. Right. And and the first past the post was the best system that had been thought of at the time. It's not like they considered other options like that they should have gone with. Those things hadn't been thought of, and they couldn't think of it themselves. So, and for and for what it's worth, they left it up to the states. Yeah. Each state could come up with a different system if they wanted, and not every state is winning. And they the specifically did that to make it easier to try new things out. Right. Like the whole state by state model is so that there's, I mean, now or at the time 13, but now 50 little laboratories that can try different stuff out and find the best way that works. And, and there are several states that are thinking that the best way to uh, block Republican power from being all about that electoral college is just change their their state the way they uh, allot votes after the election. Because there's nothing wrong. I don't think there's anything immoral with saying we're just going to distribute our electoral votes however the vote lays out. So if you got 50%, congratulations, you get 50% of the electoral votes. That's I think that's like makes for an interesting system and it makes for a check that doesn't have to go through the Senate that blocks every damn bit of progress that <laughs> tries to happen in this right. country. Absolutely. So, um, so what, what do we want a third party system to look like? What, what would we want a third party to, to do to look like? How, well, that, like, how that, that depends. Work? Are, are we taking our current system and and trying to pass bills through Congress to change it, or are we just dreaming up what what would be the best thing? I think I think you have to lay the the groundwork. Um, so I, we we yeah. moved a little bit past Ross Perot, but I I real quick I wanted to talk about like what his platform was because I found it really interesting. Oh yeah, he was talking sure. about <laughs> special interest groups taking over Washington. He was talking about uh, you know campaign finance, how campaign finance was a problem. And how the the government was no longer representative of the people anymore. That that Washington was not responsive <laughs> to the common voter, and um, that those ideas that were crazy. Those loon. ideas were in, incredibly popular. I mean, I think that the strength of that is where you see eighteen point nine percent of the popular vote yeah. going. So. Well, and and I think eighteen point. I think the important thing there is eighteen point nine percent of people who are willing to break out, who are brave enough to break out of that two party system and say these ideas are important enough to me for me to get behind this guy who's definitely not going to win, but they're important for enough for me to show everybody else that this is meaningful to me. And I think that's really powerful. So what comes out of it is accountability. What comes out of it is being able to say like, hey, you know, enough is enough. This is not an oligarchy. This is not, you know, two parties that are in, in complete autocratic control of a government. Like the people still have a say. And that's what I want a third party to do is to keep them in check and say, like, hey, you know, we are not just forced to vote for you. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that fear would keep people, would keep candidates in line in a way that you could never do in another way. Right. So I think that that's the fundamental change that's been happening since the 60s. And we have reached a point 
in our system, we've been here for maybe 10, 10 years, 15 years, where we are now so polarized that voting for a third party is kind of a legitimate move in it for its own sake because those two parties are now so entrenched. They are not diverse. Well, I mean, depending on how you say it, but ideologically, they are not diverse. <laughs> one of them has some black people. Yes. One of them has some black people. One of them has the rest of the black people. And there's a real arrogance. Like, I, I want to point to a quote from Biden from the debate. He said, I am the Democratic Party. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. fuck you. <laughs> Well, I mean, well, he's not actually... I also think everybody everybody thought that that was a gaffe, too. You know, and, like, the, whatever. Yeah. Like, yeah, it's shitty of him. But, like, yes, the candidate is not necessarily the head of the Democratic Party, but the president is. If he said that after he won, he would be absolutely Well, right. the presidential candidate does pretty much set the ticket or set the platform. I don't think he was wrong. <laughs> like... No, he he's was, not. Now, it's the big Lebowski meme. You're not wrong, you're just an Well, I mean that's completely yeah. that's completely disregarding anyone who Biden wasn't their first pick. I mean, to say that he is the whole yeah. Democratic Party is to say like I'm not representing anyone that didn't vote for me anymore. And that's what the Democratic Party spirit, like decided to do. Like they spit in the face, like they spit in my face. They spit in the face of progressives. They decided they didn't need us. And that they're going to pull votes from the middle instead of trying to pull votes from the left. Now, the thing is, I don't know that they were wrong. Like, that was probably the right political move to make because the person who's going to pull in all the left votes they could possibly want is Donald Trump. The only place that they could pull votes in from is going to be the, the Republicans voting against Trump, the Lincoln, what are, the Lincoln party. Uh, candidates, yeah, you know, maybe, like they, they're going to pull in those maybe. people. That's, that's kind of debatable. Like how, how many centrists are there? How many moderate voters are there? Like, I think that maybe that is the right strategical would, choice, but I think it's worth pondering. Right. I think, I just think there are more votes to be had in the middle than there were on the left this time. And that like, and that's why they chose. Kamala. Well, that's their game. You know, like they chose somebody who they chose somebody with like, there are a lot of, African-American women who are qualified, who would have been great in that position. And they specifically chose one. And I don't even necessarily have that much of a problem with her because she has a very liberal voting record. But they specifically chose one who was a pretty shitty prosecutor who worked with police during the I can't breathe protests of 2020. Well, law, law and order. And they thought that was a real good law idea. Law and order prosecutor. Uh, shitty yeah. prosecutor is pretty subjective, but definitely but, a law and order one. But yeah, I mean, I agree. Well, she, I agree shitty. Yeah. I, I want to say I agree shitty, but that's that's kind of subjective. <laughs> right. And I and I don't want to I don't want to get into Harris's background that much, but what they did was they specifically chose a law and order vice president so that the uh, right couldn't come after her in the same way that they wanted to. I think the right was completely taken off their guard because they thought they were going to be fighting against a Bernie or Elizabeth Warren or something. They thought they were going to be fighting against a leftist, and instead they're voting against a moderate Republican in Joe Biden. Yeah. And so they don't know how to handle well, it. They've still found ways, but they're they're more personal. They're they're more like yeah, about his ways, personality. They're not hitting. But can we go ahead and talk about maybe 
what do we want our third party to look like? I would like all of those things, like what you were saying about Ross Perot, mwah, beautiful. I would love all of that. I'd like some uh, hardcore environmentalism. Uh, it'd be nice to have a candidate that says, hey, fracking sucks and we're against it and we're going to shut it all yeah. down. That would be awesome. Especially because literally they just did another study and it turns out that solar power, cheaper than every other type of energy now and the price is still going down. Hmm. So I would love to see somebody like a party that is really aggressive on the environment. I'd like to see a party that is really aggressive on, again, the things that you said Ross Perot was against. Like, what else do you guys think? I want to see an alternative to the things that we agreed that both parties are not challenging. So I would like to see um, someone saying that the military-industrial complex doesn't need to continue expanding forever. I would like to see somebody that says, let's end the war on drugs and treat criminals like people with disease or sorry treat drug addicts like people with disease and not criminals i would like to see you know somebody who says for for foreign policy that we might approach foreign policy in a different way than the established ways that we've been doing it like okay i I just want to hear a politician say we're not going to overthrow uh, democratically elected leaders and install dictators that are more friendly to the U.S. Like, can right that will give us cheaper oil or can, whatever? Can you just have a candidate that says that? That would be that would be pretty novel. Well, Trump said that, didn't he? <laughs> I'd be happy to get a candidate who just agreed to a peaceful transition of power at this uh, point. Well, sure. Um, but I think, and did you guys hear that? Harris has specifically come out and said uh, multiple times now that she and Biden are in favor of us expunging everybody's record who has had marijuana convictions in the past and that they are going to legalize marijuana nationwide. That's that's like, fantastic. That's a step in it's a step in the right direction. It's not everything, but it's like like that's a democratic party in 2016 that would have been un Right. That's a that's a lot of what I want. That's not everything I want, but that's pretty good. <laughs> it's a lot of what Andy wants. I can tell you that. Right. Because because of of weed was what I was mentioning. I mean, ending the war on drugs is huge on my list. Obviously, but yes. not for yeah, my that personal reasons. It. It's because of all of the systemic racism <laughs> inherent in it, clogging up the penal system. Ha ha ha, it's penal. Yeah. Clogging, clogging. Uh, <laughs> anyway, um, oh my gosh. All right. We <laughs> why, can... why are you yucking someone else's yum? Have... You know one of our uh, listeners is going to be really into penal clogging, and you've just sent them heading for the hills. Okay, so so I have another I have another big one. I, I want to end the, the money-to-power ratio that's going on in Washington. Like, I would like to see every citizen have one equal vote i would like to see money meaning absolutely <laughs> nothing like you can't even pay your yeah. way into a congressional seat you can't even pay your way into uh lobbying we won't even accept your money absolutely if you could get money money out of politics if you didn't have to raise x amount of money 
to be able to run, like you'd get all kinds of interesting, interesting candidates to run. But the, the thing is to run in the, this country right now, you either need to be wildly popular in a really weird way where you can ask a bunch of people for money or you need to be rich. Those are the two types of people we can have right now. Right. And that's it. But what, what's, what's the huge problem in our country with that? The huge problem is that neither of our dominant parties are going to be willing to challenge that. Nobody is tackling right. that problem. I would love a third party to light a fire under their asses to say like, hey, this is something that the American people want. Why aren't you listening to them? Why aren't you paying attention? Here's a viable alternative. Absolutely. Right. So look, poll after poll after poll, so many Americans want more than two parties. No one likes the the partisan high-stakes shit that's been going on. Everyone hates it. It and and it's only been increasing in intensity. So I mean from from that sense like it's reaching fever pitch to the point where Politicians are going to have to start paying attention, even though it's not in their best interest. Obviously, these right. parties don't fucking want to lose their grip on power. The Republicans and Democrats have each each have one hand around the throat of America, and they're why would they give that up to to more parties? So the only way it's going to happen is it has to come from people. It has to come state by state. <laughs> I get a, a vision of like us corporations, like strangling America with both hands and like Democrats sucking off one teat and then Republicans sucking off the other. Like there's somebody in charge of everybody. <laughs> but... there, there's a, there's a political cartoon for that. I'm sure. That oh, I'm can, sure that you can draw. The only change I would make to that, my vision, I mean, the it's, Corporations are the uh, the murderer, but the hands are the Democrats and the Republicans that are doing the choking. Um, and it's the corporations that are using <laughs> one against the other to keep Americans thinking that it's Democrats against Republicans, when it is not. It is not Democrats against Republicans. It is working people and middle class... Against ag- the mega rich? Against, well, yeah. And... Yeah. So, woo. but are we are we Let's a communist? Are we a communist podcast now? No, <laughs> I mean, I'm we, very much guys, capitalist, gonna, but regulated. I'm gonna bring you on, like eat the billionaires at so some point. Guys. Here's the sure. thing. But here's the thing. I I'm there's not many billionaires in this country who I'm gonna like stand and defend. I am gonna defend <laughs> their right to be billionaires, but also I'm gonna fight tooth and nail to make sure that people aren't getting exploited by them on the way. Wow. Well, that that would be a good start. So, well, that would, um, that's the missing piece, isn't it? <laughs> our, our, right. So why, why don't we go ahead? I, I think we have formed a basic third party now. I would like to talk about my frustrations with other third parties, meaning that they're nuts. Oh, like absolutely. Like they don't represent... They don't represent the people at all. And then they're like, well, why aren't people voting for us? I just wanted <laughs> solid gold toilet seats in every home. Like the platforms of most of <laughs> most of these parties makes no sense. Like I said, the Green Party makes the most sense to me. But I don't know much about libertarians. Uh, Andy, could you like speak to what their platform is now? Well, um, 
Yeah, so the Libertarian Party, uh, in a, uh, to paint with broad strokes real quick, is socially liberal, fiscally conservative. So what that means in practice is people are free to they to embrace their freedoms as Americans. Um, so so it's it's valuing individual liberty among, uh, uh, above collectivism above corporatism right the the most important thing is an individual's rights and where you are a criminal or where you mess up in society is when you start trampling on the rights of others if you're doing something on your own you're not really harming anybody the libertarians are all for you doing that right they want gay people to get married while injecting heroin and shooting their legal guns is kind of where they're at. Sure. I mean, socially, like, the government shouldn't be involved in what a marriage is. The government shouldn't be making decisions about uh, what women do, what decisions they make about their pregnancies. The government shouldn't be involved in making decisions about what businesses do and don't fail. The government shouldn't be involved in instituting regime change in foreign countries. Sure. And like, I think all those positions make a lot of sense. I assume they don't have any crazy positions that they've been pushing this year, have they? they well, yeah. I mean, it depends. You, we could get a, like a proper libertarian on here wh who might argue in defense of some some things, but there's definitely some things yeah, that... Yeah, but that's so, not fun. I, well, so so I have some I have some dirty laundry about the uh, the Libertarian Party. So one of the main things is uh, eliminating the Department of Education. Libertarians don't want public school to be paid for by the government anymore. Which, like, wow, okay, I I big disagree on that. I I think that the only way that you're going to have an educated populace is by publicly funding this, like how how are poor communities possibly expected to educate the young folks that we expect to have like scientific advancements for the next 50, 100, 200 years? How are they going to properly feed their children? Like we, we already have a huge problem with school lunches right now. And that's before you say you're going to get rid of the Department of Education altogether. I well yeah, um well regarding education at least keeping in mind that the federal department of education was only founded in the 70s um it doesn't really do a lot and most funding for schools doesn't come from the federal level either um it's not actually that crazy but it does affect the school a lot of school lunch programs so that would that is certainly a concern there um, what I was going to say was that Joe Jorgensen, who's the Libertarian candidate. So uh, a little bit of close clarification first. Me, I have been a member of the Libertarian Party. I was very pro Gary Johnson in 2016. I voted for him. I got involved with my local Libertarian group and pretty much backed right the f*** away. Um, <laughs> The, the, on a local, on an individual level, or the people around Cleveland, the people that I got to know were fine and well and good. But even just increasing that to the state level, 
they were hardcores, and hardcores are bad. And the thing with a, a small third party in a two party in a in a in our now legit actual two parties, two well defined parties, I should say, system is a third party is kind of forced to this extreme fringe kind of thing. That's the that's the only place that it can exist in in the system that we have. Mm-hmm. So. What I'm getting at here... Without being like a spoiler for one of the two parties. So... Without losing all of their support to one of those two parties. The reason the Green Party is is so much worse than than even the Libertarian Party is because they're basically a subset of Democrats at this point. Whereas Libertarian Party kind of at least sort of exists in this separate space kind of wedged between Republicans and Democrats, if that makes sense. But but the point is that, that that sort of forces the libertarian platform to sort of an extreme place because they're not getting any voters. They're, that's the only place where there are voters. So this is the thing that always drives me nuts about third-party candidates is, like, what you're saying is, like, well, they're not getting enough support because they don't hold popular positions on issues. Well, I mean... I, I can see right, how that like, seems what, cyclical. Like sure. Any valid third party is going to have to do is it's going to have to look at issues that it absolutely believes in, but that are also popular if the goal is to get supporters over to their So what side. I'm saying is if that worked, then the Green Party would be successful and the Green Party isn't. The Green Party is for several big, big-time uh, policy agenda items... Uh, climate change and healthcare and that are hugely popular across the country. Um, and yet they're, they continue to perform even worse than the Libertarian Party. Okay. So then what's, what's the option then? How do, how do we move forward a third party? Well, the problem, because the problem isn't positions and, and, and policies. The problem is, call it geopolitical positioning it's there's no space on the on the landscape for another party right now we the, the problem is systemic hmm. i guess i don't i just don't i don't believe that i don't get that because you have to come up with your own positions but all you have to do is offer a platform that's more attractive than the other two parties and get it out there in an effective way and boom you got yourself a party no now I also think there are steps that we need to take. So I, I'm all on board with getting a third party represented, but we've got a couple different steps to do along the way. The first step is 5% of the national vote. As soon as you get 5% of the national vote, you open up public funding for your party to run their candidate next time. And that's when you're talking about real money that can use for ad buys to like move forward your candidate in a real way. The the next threshold is what I think you said fifteen percent when we were talking the other day, and that is what gets you on that debate well, stage. Well, so so the five percent is is actual votes in the actual election. The fifteen percent threshold though is polling, and that's actually a very I think recent. The way they did it this last time, yeah, I think it's like you have to get. At least fifteen percent in three different, uh, like reputable national yeah. polls. That's what that's what started Yang, like knocking out Yang and Klobuchar early and stuff right. like that. That that number though, that threshold was set in two thousand seventeen. Uh, it was last bumped up 
I believe in the early 2000s to the 5% mark. I think it was at like 2 or 3% before that. Um, right. And so that's why you had uh, Perot and, and I think Nader was in debates too. But I know Perot was in debates and afterwards they moved the threshold up. And then Nader was in debates or close to debates. And then afterwards they moved the threshold up. Yeah, he got 3% uh, total nationally in 2000. It's difficult to talk about Nader because, like, people started calling him a spoiler, like, as we got closer and closer to the election. And then certainly after the election, they did because they think that the Democrats own people's votes and things like that, which is ludicrous. Now, I did, I voted for Nader in 96. I voted for him again in 2000. And then in 2003, when he decided to run again, I wrote him hate mail. (laughs) Because, like, we knew the damage that George W. Bush had done at that point, and for him to pull votes at that point was unacceptable. I, I couldn't handle it. So, But there are ways that we can get support. There are ways that we can build a coalition. There are. And maybe Nader's not the guy to look at. Like, Nader started getting, like, popular musicians to come play with him, and he filled up stadiums of people. I was there at least in two of those stadiums. But maybe Ross Perot is the the guy we look at because he was certainly more effective. Well, and I'll will say this: the the platforms of the two parties are not by accident. The platforms of the two parties are very strategically thought out in order to divide the country exactly in half. Yeah. The, these these things don't happen by accident. You have polling. You have political scientists that are thinking about this. You have think tanks that are literally just all day, you know, thinking about stri- uh, strategical thought of how to move forward in American politics. So for us to craft a platform that is going to be more popular than either of those two, it's not that it's impossible. It's just that that's a very daunting task for the for the diversity of opinion that there that exists among Americans. Right. But for me, like that's not the goal. The goal is to craft a platform that will get us 5% of the vote. I think that's possible. That's it. We just I need to get 5%. Possible. And like what we're not going to do is we're not going to create a third party that gets a candidate that will get elected next time around. That's not how this works. But what you need is you need to have a several election long cycle strategy. Right where you can start building up that fervor for your candidate. And the thing is, we can't talk about, like, well, why isn't there, a kid, like, a third-party candidate, like, four months before the goddamn election? Like, that that groundwork... Well, so so then how can you how can you still have animosity against Ross Perot, then? Do, do I? I like... Or for, for, Ralph, for Ralph Nader. Yeah, no... I, Was it Nader you said? Yeah, because for the same reason I have animosity against... It is unconscionable for anybody to vote for anybody but Joe Biden this time. And it was unconscionable for anybody to vote for anyone in 2004 that was... I mean, I'm not trying to grill you here, but it kind of sounds like you're talking out of both sides of your mouth. No, no. On on this. Ah, no. Oh, so I mentioned this earlier, but I want to be clear. I hold no animosity against anybody who voted in 2000 for George W. Bush, and I don't hold animosity against anybody who voted for Trump in 2016 because you didn't know what they were going to do. I think a lot of people who voted for Trump in 2016 thought they were uh, throwing a hand grenade 
into Washington and see what happened. And I think that was kind of true of George W. Bush as well, only in a, in a different way. But they didn't know what kind of president those people were going to be. They didn't have a time machine. They didn't know what they were going to do. People who saw those two presidents and what they did over that four years they were in power, either it's okay with you that they did those things or you vote against them. Like those are your, those are your only two options. I feel, I feel like that undercuts the thesis that we've come forth with this entire episode though. The, the thesis of this episode is that you should vote your conscience no matter where that leads you, that you should vote for the candidate that you like, and that by perpetuating this idea that you have to vote against somebody, that we are specifically creating blind spots that are not going to ever be addressed in in the interests of the American people as far as how their their government sure. is responding to to those needs and those wants. Absolutely. And but there are things called priorities. You know, like if you work at a diner and there's been a big spill and you need to go get the mop and clean it up, that's fine. And I think that's what we're doing with these third parties. But if that diner is also on fire at the same time, you probably want to put out the fire first before you grab the mop. And so in 2004, there was an emergency with our system. And here in 2020, there's another emergency. It's, it's not normal. That's, that's legitimate. And I, I, I totally respect that opinion. I, I'm just very worried that we will never escape this emergency. So you're both right. Um, like Trump is absolutely an existential threat to democracy. And he has been at work actively tearing down institutions, watchdog groups, um, and other whistleblowers, you know, protections. Yes, whistleblowers and other protections against uh, against authoritarianism and totalitarianism. Um, so, but at the same time, in doing so, we are in, in entrenching further the two party system. We are we are making it harder to get out of it in the future. And and there's going to probably be another Trump. Yeah. No, you're absolutely right. And that sucks. I'm just trying to put out a fire though. I understand. And so here's the thing. I think it's it's really it's a really difficult uh needle to thread because Trump is Trump is a problem. Trump is is um a symptom. Trump is a uh, he's both. He's both a symptom and an accelerant. He is so he's it's I don't I don't know how to I don't have an analogy for it it is but <laughs> yeah uh, we need to understand that I thought I thought my diner on fire analogy was pretty yes. good for spur of the moment so it's, it, it's, it's fantastic but, but I would say that this diner has been on fire for like at least 80 <laughs> if not 200 years and I have, no, I have no idea when it's going to not be on fire again <laughs> i'm worried that it will continue to burn for the rest of human history or at least yeah. until the end of our republic i think i think it's been on fire for 250 years so, but th but in the I last three years there's been an explosion like it's been in there's been a fire raging inside of it but Somebody, now it's actually blown up. 
Yes. <laughs> so maybe I'm a little apathetic about the diner being on fire because it's been <laughs> on fire for 200 years. Yeah, I'm, I'm definitely not dining there. Can I go ahead and I think we're running out of time, but I had a thought and a thought that Donald Trump has given us an opportunity as people who are interested in having a valid third party open up and that the Democrats have sort of given us the opportunity to deal with. What has happened is because Democrats have decided to throw the left wing of the party under the bus so that they can pull those votes from the middle, and because of how they treated all of the Bernie supporters in 2016, you have a lot of very, very progressive, very young people who are ready to get involved politically but don't like the party that hits on them constantly, but kind of sort of lines up with their values. It's, it's, their only, it's their only option. Exactly. If you give them an actual progressive party that is actually going to support their values and give them like a platform that they can be proud of, next time around, you are going to have an opportunity like nobody's business because... Harris and Biden saying, like, no, we won't shut down fracking or any number of their other, like, bullshit, moderate, conservative views you can use against them, shove it down their throats, and easily, yeah. I think, get 5% of a vote that doesn't exist today. I think you can get people on board who would not vote for any of those people and get them on board with a new third party. Yeah, but you're talking about in... In eight years, or in four years. I'm talking about four years. And, so, and I think even on top of that, I think so, also you see the the Republican Party deflate after Trump is ousted, and it, I everything seems to point, oh God, I hope this is what happens, but everything seems to be pointing to him getting pretty much crushed in the election. You know, if Trump loses and the Republican Party deflates, I think... Um, you might see the Libertarian Party slide it back, uh, upwards into that, closer into that center position and abandon some of those more, well... They don't have a platform that's going to bring in a number of people. You need to either jump on the Green Party, which is, according to you, Democrat light, or you need to form a third party that people can be proud of and follow the platform of. But the Libertarians aren't going to get What I was saying was... And and adopt a more normal platform and abandon some of those crazy things <laughs> that they support. So I thanks for interrupting to say what I was trying to say. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're welcome. I think you're right. Like, but like the libertarians, they they have a bad platform and they have a bunch of baggage. Yeah. So I I just no, they do. They're not going to be able to get it done. And and the thing is, I don't care about like. Like, you know, the third party that I'm interested in, it's just third party. I don't care what well, it is. Well, can I tell you, I don't think that third party is enough. A third party entering the scene is only beneficial if it is a wedge in the system that allows the whole thing to get changed. Because right. we're not going to actually have a, a sustainable multi-party system until we have at least four, <laughs> maybe five. Yeah. And I think that's that's great. But I like, and like, we're, we're having two episodes here, basically. There's like 
what we want, what would be ideal, and what can possibly mm-hmm. get done. And like for me, a really easy stepping stone that we could actually do that would actually make some change is get a get a party out there with a platform that people like believe in and get five percent. Like that's that's my thing. That's doable. And then from there, we get fifteen percent. We get on that stage with the baits. And we start like changing hearts and minds. That's it. <laughs> no, <laughs> but not, no, but not this, this year. It's not going to happen. We're, we're we're recording this on like October fourteenth. Yeah. So uh, if we can do it in three weeks, I think maybe, actually, but the more I think the more um, feasible path to to real change is actually going to come from states making the decision to change to uh, ranked choice voting like Maine, Maine has done and, yeah. and several other states are considering. There's uh, three states, uh, other states, I think Massachusetts and a couple others that are have it on the ballot or something coming up soon. And I think that is that change and then a proportional distribution of electors in the electoral college rather than uh, winner take all. Those are the two very doable because they're at a state level and very, uh, what's the word I want, favorable. People are really into those two ideas. They're well supported by people on both sides of the aisle. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I absolutely agree. So I I hate to be the one to do this, but I think we have to start drawing our our time to a close on this episode. So did did either of you guys have like closing statements that you wanted to get in uh, before... Well, I I mean, I know it drives you nuts, Andy, but like my thing is November 4th, November 4th, November 4th. And what I mean by that is it's not about waiting until after the election to start getting things done. It's about starting to get things done right after the election. Because when we moan about the Electoral College a year before an election happens or when we about not having a viable third party when it's already too late, it's already too late. What we need to do is we need to find a way to get people involved and get people starting to work on the issues that they claim to give a shit about when there's still time to do something about it. And that's what November 4th is all about for me. I think we need to be active when that happens if we want to push forward a progressive way of doing things or a conservative way of doing things like I don't I don't know what your thing is if you're a conservative it's wild to me that you listen to this but yeah. thank you um um I, I mean I'm relatively conservative <laughs> um, we, we love you baby yeah you keep on saying that but that, that is not what the replay shows on these many many episodes well the thing is on. well we don't have time for that right now but um I, what I would say <laughs> is Read more about this. There's um there's there's an author to check out. His name is Lee Drutman. Um, he's got a number of articles in in good articles in very reputable you know, a lot of interviews. You can find him easily. Didn't he write a book too? This he did write a book. The, his book is called Breaking the Two Party Doom Loop. It's fantastic. He's fantastic. If uh, this is ultimately you guys listeners and. And I guess you guys as well. Um, I mean, this is the the reason we don't we are not in a democratic system anymore. And I I mean that like this is not democratic. 
this is um it's not proper you mean you mean small right, d democratic it's not small d democratic like oligarchy um, your voice isn't heard your voice doesn't matter most americans voices don't matter how what 40% of americans don't even vote because they don't care and because of our two party first past the post system mm-hmm. if your candidate doesn't win your voice your vote also didn't matter so Everyone who voted for Hillary, you th- your vote was thrown out too. Your vote was a throwaway vote too. So, so that means we're being ruled by like less than thirty percent of the people that are. That's there. exactly right. And so, and and right. if you want your voice to be heard, a a multi party system with ranked choice voting and and another big thing that doesn't get talked about very much, but. Um, Congressional districts are a big, big problem, not just from a gerrymandering standpoint, but also because one district elects one representative. What would be a much better system would be larger districts that elect multiple representatives at a time. You vote for Mm -hmm. like the top three win or the top five win. Um, Yeah, Senate districts are a huge problem, too. uh, Senates don't really have districts so much as they have a state. Ah, there you go. You you got on what I was saying. You figured it but, out. Yeah, but you're... That's not... It's a separate issue. It's a different issue. Yeah, we're going to keep on talking about that for a while. So to bring it in for a landing, so the last thing that I wanted to say really kind of lines up well with what Nathan is saying about November 4th. I think, like, we're all going to breathe a sigh of relief after this election. Uh, I mean... Hopefully, I guess it. I guess it depends on whether you. Oh dear guys, but I'm knocking on wood here. In, in any case, I'm going to be sick as hell of talking about this after no- November fourth. But that's why it's all the more important that we don't only address this immediately when it is exactly like an election is breathing down our necks. We need to. We need to take. Um, the time between elections to say like, um, you know, for for uh, congressional elections, for local elections, for even just the time that's you're you're not even close to an election, but you need to be start uh, thinking politically. Um, we can't be apathetic about this. The way that you get your voice drowned out, the way that you lose your representation is by sleeping on this. And so while I'm going to be, you know, very uh, relieved to have this whole process be over, um, we can't just sleep on it. It's it's something that you need to continue to be active and passionate about for more than just like the, the month before an election happens. Absolutely. And if I can just say like last, last thing, I think it's really important. There's there's a platform that I think a lot of states could adopt that would really fix a lot of things called Precious Moments. Precious Moments. Got him. Well, one other... Okay. One other other thing? <laughs> no, if that's fine. Andy, if there's something you want to slide in, I can just there transition. There is so, so just... much more to talk about on this subject. So I will just okay. pass. If you have something that you want to spend 10 it's, seconds on, go ahead. Otherwise, th- I have something I want to spend 10 hours on. Okay. All right. So we can we can revisit all of this. Yeah. After November 4th. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So <laughs> there is, oh, man, 
so I feel like I loaded up on precious yeah. moments because we didn't do any precious moments during debate episode, and it's been a couple of weeks uh, since we recorded. But <laughs> there There's are a couple of ones. things that I really enjoyed. Um, for example, I think, Andy, you're already aware of it. I think it was a new information for you. Uh, but there are people who seemingly genuinely believe that in the 19, like between the 1950s and the 1970s, the government systematically killed off every bird and replaced them with drones that spy on Americans. <laughs> yeah. mm-hmm. It's true. It's a very important issue. It's true. They did. That's fact. It is the the birds aren't real campaign. They don't migrate south. They just go back to the factory to get fixed up and tuned during the winter. (laughs) It is wild to me, and I love it. I'm gonna post an interview that I found with uh, WREG News Channel Three, where a guy gets like genuinely insulted when the anchors dare to insinuate that maybe he's not 100% genuine on his idea that birds aren't real. <laughs> um, I'm going to do two more because i got to catch oh, up. Geez. The the second one that I love is hashtag Proud Boys. Oh, yeah. Um, on Twitter, on Twitter, <laughs> on Facebook, on a variety of different social media platforms, the hashtag Proud Boys was taken over the by gays. gay pride. <laughs> <laughs> like, it's just different pictures of uh, gay men and women getting Dude, I... married and kissing and at pride parades and like these big like beautiful beefcakes in Wonder Woman uh, outfits and it's amazing. Uh... So the Proud Boys have lost their hashtag to a bunch of like amazing <laughs> gay people and I love yep. it so much. All right, the last thing I'm gonna gonna say Jesus is Christ. Um, uh, I, I told you I was going to do three. So the last thing I'm going to say is, uh, first of all, uh, hashtag thoughts and prayers for our really good president who got coronavirus, I'm sure, while he was being very respectful and careful about it. But the thing I love about it is immediately after Donald John Trump got coronavirus, Merriam-Webster reported that the word schadenfreude <laughs> went up in searches by 30,500%. And that makes me so happy. That's so wonderful. <laughs> All right, I'll go next. So, I've got I've got more, but I'm I'm not going to I'm not going to go into them. Those those are the three quick ones that I could do right now. That's uh, fine. Next. I'm going to I'm going to go with I got I got three as well, but they're pretty quick. So, one is uh one that I'm glad you didn't use because you had posted it, but I'm going to steal it. Um, so, in sure. fact, after recovering from coronavirus, when uh, wanting to demonstrate his health to the American people, I guess AIDS had to talk Trump down from his plan, which was to rip open his button-down shirt <laughs> to reveal a Superman logo <laughs> on his chest. <laughs> Which I can't even say. I mean, I would have respected that. I would have thought that was a power move. I would have been all about it. That is not an anti-Trump laugh right now. I would have loved that. I wouldn't have voted for him, but I would have loved it. Oh, man. Just anything that that he can do to, like, put on an air of strength, even if it's ludicrous. Well, 
Which which leads oh my me God. because he's struggling with that so much that leads me to my second precious moment, which is that um, Boris Johnson and the UK are have completely written off Trump in the election, and is te- are they're, he's telling all of his ministers and all the people you know his, his staffers and stuff to just don't even worry about it and plan on a Biden administration next. Which is <laughs> hilarious, especially because Boris Johnson is so much like Trump. Hmm. I think he was he was crapping on Wales. He did. I think he tweeted about how badly Wales had done on their handling of the coronavirus, and they basically tweeted back, "We're surprised you've heard of us. We are very much looking forward to inviting President Joe Biden after he wins." <laughs> To see our country. Um, And so bringing us to Biden and my third and final precious moment, um, following the vice presidential debate when there was a fly on Mike Pence's head, uh, the Biden campaign has sold, and this is as of a few days ago even, so it's probably even more now, 35,000 fly swatters in a matter of hours (laughs) after the VP debate. (laughs) Having some fun with that. My favorite tweet that came out of that after it was over was someone saying how that fly was Pence's only black friend. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I started no. laughing and oh, never no. stopped. <laughs> so, so purely by accident, um, a few weeks ago, I was looking at the Amazon rainforest on Google, and I saw that there are Google reviews of the Amazon rainforest in Brazil. <laughs> and the, the awesome. one-star Amazon rainforest reviews are now my favorite source of comedy. So I'll just read a few of these. So, uh, too many trees. Nobody told me there were going to be trees. Frowny face. <laughs> Someone help me. I went off the trail and I don't know where I (laughs) Good place, but my dad left for milk. (laughs) I ordered purple metal dice, yet they sent me brown metal dice. (laughs) What? Because it's it's Amazon. They're reviewing it like it's Amazon, the uh, multi-billion dollar company. (laughs) <laughs> the best jokes are the one you have. Yeah. Oh yeah, for sure. Are there any uh, five star reviews? Oh yeah, yeah. But I don't. I don't think those are as funny. Oh no, those those are probably people actually talking about. What are there two star reviews? Uh, Too many trees. Uh, came here for my first day on the job. Was supposed to be in packaging, but now I'm lost. <laughs> Pretty bad. Tbh. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Alright, anyway. Oh my goodness. My my favorite review out of the bunch was I really need to come up with a cat. Wait, wait, one more. One star. I went there with my family and I ended up being part of a tribe. The tribe was nice and all, but they killed my hamster. Also they failed to mention there would be no trees. (laughs) (laughs) I still need to come up with a cat phrase. I hope we gave you something to cry about this week. (laughs) Oh man. Love you, bye. Bow, bow, bow. Hey, that party sucks. No. Just kidding.
But also, if you want to use uh, you for the flintel, I approve. <laughs>